Welcome to BioCitizen Banter, a podcast dedicated to environmental philosophy, featuring lively discussions between people active in the effort to bring biotic health and diversity to our communities and commonwealth. Well, here we are again. Oh my God, it's been so long. Haven't had a BioCitizen Banter in a while. I'm here with T. Wright from the University of North Texas. She is an advanced PhD candidate, uh, teaching there, learning there, and also uh, drafting a dissertation on the work and biopolitics is what I would call it, all the Leopold. I am very interested in having a discussion about Leopold, Leopoldianism, and the issue of race. Was Aldo Leopold a racist? T, what attracted you to Leopold and why might the works of Leopold be of interest to anybody, do you think? For me, getting started with Aldo Leopold happened after um, deployment to Afghanistan. I carried a rifle in occupation of foreign soil and like many other veterans, uh, after that, I spent a lot of time mostly thinking about trees and mountains and things that were, at the time, seemed a little less mm, close to me. After I had spent some time just trying to be something other than a soldier, I realized I had been learning some things that were really amazing. Um, that had changed my perspective deeply on the world. If you are, in general, the kind of person who would like to think about something interesting with someone who has really refined how they want to talk to you about their interesting thing, Aldo Leopold is extraordinary. He will teach you before you know that you have been taught. And you will return to your next problem with a new, with a new idea in mind. Um, if you're maybe not necessarily in for such a philosophical, you know, uh, gambit kind of, that you're going to spend time reading this one author out of, you know, the whole corpus of literature, then I'll say that Leopold continues to be, you know, Leopold continues to be relevant because the word biopolitic is relevant. And Leopold understood the biopolitic of his time better than most and made more accurate, I would say, predictions about the biopolitic of our time uh, than most. And his solutions to biopolitical problems, especially when it concerns racism or other forms of prejudice, uh, are only more pertinent now than they had been in the past. And that is something I think most folks would not look to Leopold for, for this sort of political, um, and especially not for 
race conscious advice. It's just not anywhere in the Leopold literature that, uh, or the secondary literature about Leopold that he was as race conscious as I think he was. I find it fascinating that Leopold appeared to you as a sort of need and maybe tonic, perhaps cure. Yeah. For you as a US soldier abroad, looking for something that obviously was not being expressed in Afghanistan, um, so that you were very much a part of, a, of an aggressive nationalist action. Yeah. On the other side of the planet. And one of the things about Leopold is in the Sand County Almanac, he is attempting to configure and imagine a non-nationalistic human identity. And he's wrestling always with this like frontier theme, you know, pioneers, you know, the Westward Ho movement of Anglo-Americans uh, pushing West and transforming biomes. And he really doesn't speak too much about Native America, does he? He doesn't speak too much about African-Americans and the institution of slavery. Not a tremendous amount, no. Uh, uh, he does write about indigenous peoples um, across the Americas. Uh, but usually not very well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's definitely, when he writes directly, it's definitely a weakness. Hang on just a second. I'm sorry. Picking this up again, the Leopold was placed in time <laughs> and in history. He is a historical actor. He went to Yale School of Forestry when it had just opened up. He was very much part of the progressive era, which is a very strange moment in U.S. history when racism, you might say, was at its peak in some ways because scientific racism was taught at all of the leading universities. Maybe we should spend a moment just, I'll ask you, you know, how would you define race? I'm not sure that I would offer a definition of race. Instead, I think that the, and I, I think that a more Leopoldian tack, because I think this is what he did, is instead try to offer a criticism of whites or whiteness um, and kind of sidestep the issue of what might constitute indigeneity or constitute what, what does blackness mean? What does it mean to be black? These are questions that I'm not going to try to answer, and I don't think Leopold did either. Instead, uh, you see Leopold making explicitly racialized criticisms of white settlement. Uh, for example, there's a, a essay that is kind of well known, but was unpublished at the time that Leopold wrote um, that nowadays is called usually just uh, the Virgin Southwest. And um, in, if you just think of it by that title, it kind of reads like a, a little bit of a bit of nostalgia. Um, but the rest of the title was 
and what the white man has done to it. This explicit use of race and gender in the criticism should not be overlooked, especially in a politic, especially in a race conscious politic. So rather than trying to worry about race in general, what Leopold has done, and I think what I can do also, is to say, there were no gullies before there were pioneers. So he doesn't have to say, well, this or that indigenous group did better than this or that group of white settlers. He can just say, well, the ranges started deteriorating when the whites showed up. And that's what he does say. All right, so we'll, we're gonna return to this theme over and over again. But what you have said is, is very important at this moment that he was rendering a criticism of this, um, like it's this invader culture. Yeah, the conqueror. And he, awesome. you know, just to throw this out, um, began having these thoughts in the 20s and finally, you know, matured around World War II. Actually, he died and uh, his relatives cobbled together the notes that became the Sand County Almanac. So somebody beginning to think about the stuff in the 20s um, when Jim Crow, for example, is the law of the land, is somebody who's at least disturbed <laughs> and is right. in, in creating the questions that need right. to be answered. And right. leave that at the, here at the moment. And I'll just re return to the other thing of this kind of um, post-nationalist or even anti-nationalist identity that he uh, begins to imagine and is published in the Sand County Almanac. And so I'll just read one sentence because it's where the, the name BioCitizen comes from. Here it is, all right. Uh, in, so what he does in this short little essay towards the end is set out the oppositions that he sees in the U.S. culture at the at the time, at least what he's focusing on, and he, he calls it the A and B cleavage. Oh, here it is. Okay, in all of these cleavages, we see repeated the same basic paradoxes: man the conqueror versus man the biotic citizen. So the biotic citizen becomes, for our school, biocitizen. Science, the sharpener of his sword versus science as the searchlight on his universe. Land, the slave and servant versus land, the collective organism. He is siding against the idea of the toxic male, the man as conqueror, as the sharpener of swords and as somebody who looks at land as a slave versus this new person he's imagining a bio-citizen who wants to use science as a way of finding their way in the universe and of being part of a collective organism. And so that's uh, really where the mission for the bio-citizen school comes from. 
there might be no better jumping off point for the anti-racist Leopold than what you just said. Yeah. Because just read uh, the whiteness back into that and the conqueror where Leopold is from, you know, it, the places pertinent to what he's writing about. Uh, he's writing about the Midwestern and Southwestern United States. The conqueror here is racialized. It is not as though white settlement was not white settlement. Settler colonialism is a, is a racialized thing. So the conqueror, let, let me say it this way. The conqueror where Leopold is from is the settler. The settler in the context, again, of Leopold is white. So when we think about like the pioneers and gullies or the what the white man has done types of uh, essays to be attempting to move away from an enslaving and conquering mentality must be its must be anti-racist and decolonial, or you're certainly not doing what he suggested, right? So the whatever the biotic citizen is, it must be as anti-racist as the notion of moving away from conquest in North America for me as a white person. He's really talking about a master and slave relationship. And he, he does have a, ethos and so his idea of this collective organism is kind of like the melting pot idea a multicultural idea of a, a real democracy uh, respects the rights of all of its citizens right but including soils waters plants animals if you're Leopold if yeah. you're Leopold and what always has fascinated me and made me return to Leopold is uh, in part because of the lacunae, the open-endedness of everything he's written. It's almost elliptical that we're required to, to add the ends of sentences and the ends of ideas a lot of times with Leopold. Oh yeah. How intersectional he is. <laughs> you know, we call it intersectional now, but he's conflating the Anglo-American colonialist treatment of human beings, master and slave relationships uh, to biology. And that is so gigantic and it's, in, you know, very difficult to articulate. And as a writer, he, he was able to create these very short um, sentences that are almost poetic, but it's, just amazing that it is grounded in ecology. And so that's why I'm always like, I can't stop thinking about it because it's the truth. <laughs> you know, right now I've got a quart of lactose acidophilus in my belly right now. And if I didn't have it, I would be dead. We'd all be dead if we did not have active bacteria in our bellies, how did it get in our bellies? Um, who knows, but it's been in our species bellies forever. And so we're not alone, even in our own bodies. And, you know, having this conversation, I'm thanking the bacteria. Um, so that's, you know, wow. This is that, wow. So that's, this is the kind of world that opens up when you start to think of your identity as not separate, but actually symbiotic um, with, 
with what we would call the environment, but the environment is like this dead kind of shell that's um, just another kind of industrialist construct of, you know, there's a mechanistic approach to forestry, which Leopold was one of the, the first to try to apply, right, in the Gila wilderness in, in New Mexico and killing all the wolves that, you know, like he did and was very proud that he killed all the wolves so he could have lots of deer for the hunters to come and kill. And, right. and again, T, what happens when you kill all the wolves? Nothing good. <laughs> Nothing good happens. Everything Leopold was working for when he killed the wolves, he undid by killing them. He was trying to make some kind of wilderness preserve, a playground for whites maybe at the time, but he didn't. And after that really painful failure, I mean, those early days in the Gila were bad. The early days on the Apache, he nearly was fired. And after those after those failures, I think is really when he started to question the, what he calls the conqueror's mentality that goes not only to how you're going to conduct forestry and biology, but also how you're going to farm, how you're going to treat other humans, how you think about human animal relations. But what the conqueror's mentality cannot do, I think, is really appreciate its gut biome. <laughs> Well, it's kind of icky. Most people don't want to think about that stuff. Um, but the the deer that um, all of a sudden there were thousands of them where there had been tens of them, uh, right. shooting the the mountain slopes of all the, the the plants, and then the first rains, and then all the erosion of the soils. He realized that by um, executing what he'd been taught at the Yale School of Forestry that he'd actually created extinctions. He right. destroyed the soils. In other words, it was a gigantic mistake. You know, this is why people who like Leopold admire Leopold, and you said it, is that he, he wanted to learn from that mistake. She wanted to heal what he had like, wounded. And that is a pretty inspiring, you know, and that makes him a a good teacher for those of uh, us who, who look at, you know, his work that way, that he, he was very disturbed by what he had done, <laughs> you know, and, and essentially began from that point on to make it his life's work to critique uh, even Yale School of Forestry. And right. Um, to see if, if he could create a new a way of, of looking at our relation with our non-human co-inhabitants. So why don't we just take a, a quick look at the land ethic. A thing is right when it tends to preserve the integrity, stability, and beauty of the biotic community. It is wrong when it tends otherwise. So that's right and wrong. And, that, and so that's what we call Leopold's land ethic. It's wrong to destroy the integrity, stability, and beauty of the biotic community. And it's good if you preserve those same attributes. What is your take on that? That, that part of the land ethic, that, that sentence, that paragraph, to me, the absolute most important part, uh, you can't, it comes before the colon. The absolute most important part of that paragraph comes before the colon, not after. So the idea... A thing is right when it tends to preserve the, 
the integrity, stability, and beauty of the biotic community. It's wrong when it tends otherwise. The common way I think to look at this is as sort of, like you said, the this is where we make the cut between right and wrong. But a key log is a log in a log jam when you're floating timber down a river as Leopold did many times in his early days. The key log is the first log that gets moving in order to get the rest of the logs moving. So he's indicating that this comes early in the uh, sequence of moral development for a person, especially for a conqueror. And I would combine that comment with also just by observing the fact that the position of this ethic, essay, the land ethic, was changed after Leopold's death in, in the Almanac. It was at the beginning of his conclusions, and now it is at the end of his conclusions, the upshot section. He, he used to open the upshot with it. Now he closes the upshot with it. So if you think about it as an opening to the upshot and then the key log, this is the very beginning. So this is not where Leopold wants us to go. This is where he wants us to start. Here in, the, here in this paragraph of the land ethic, I think we have an invitation to philosophy. He's given us, like Plato's Socrates, something that we can now argue about. But at least we're starting to get on to the right kinds of discussions to be had that are outside of the comfort zone of the conqueror's mentality. To start to get into this biotic citizen, whatever that might mean, that is constantly contrasted with the conqueror. Right. Here's the beginning. So th this is exactly what he has proposed as the solution to that problem of, of having of being a participant in a conqueror's culture where he elsewhere in the book makes it plain that the conqueror is eventually going to become extinct because the conqueror cannot continue to destroy everything around it and survive. Yeah. So, uh, there's this very existential problem that he's addressing, which is the survival of whatever culture it is that he's part of. He is seeing the end, and it's an end in doom for the conqueror, the slave owner. Uh, he also is repelled by it because of that democratic ethos also. It doesn't seem right, but it ultimately is going, it, the conqueror is going to die because of its own ethic. Shifting a little bit, do you think that the educational institutional complex elementary, secondary, post-secondary college schools have this ethic, this land ethic? I mean, is this a focus of, of education, do you think, in the United States? Not where, uh, not where I live. All right. Um, not, where, not where my kiddo goes to school. Certainly what, not. What would you say is the ethic? You know, just brainstorming here. Well, I mean, in the, in the, language that we're using today, they definitely are teaching a conqueror's mentality. At my son's middle school, there's this big outdoor history, I think they call it a museum, and it is just all celebration of settlement. That's all it is, the whole thing, all the way through. I'm, I'm appalled. 
I'm appalled when I see it. There's no kind of self-criticism allowed there at that school. Well, it's a very reassuring myth. Okay. Yes, it is a very reassuring myth. In the sense yeah. that um, we can find references to it everywhere. I live in the so-called Pioneer Valley, and there's talk all the time of we've got to get rid of this name. You know, so we'll call it the Happy Valley. Okay. But it's still the Pioneer Valley because of uh, the original battles between the Pecumtug people and the Anglo-Americans like in Deerfield, Massachusetts and, and all of this stuff. So that's all I can say is that, it, uh, you know, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, Cowboys, <laughs> Yellowstone, streaming on tv right now with kevin oh, Costner. Yeah. it's oh, all yeah. pretty much if you don't want to feel uncomfortable then the washington redskins as they still call it the washington redskins i don't even know but i'm just saying you know, washington changed their name Atlanta Braves, yeah. yeah like just keep on buying the t-shirts and and stand you know be in the stands and you're not going to really be right uh, Meanwhile, Aldo Leopold is quietly making fun of you, by the way, if you're wearing a Braves t-shirt. He really is. Um, so it is kind of a, a surrealistic moment for us to just imagine that the land ethic would somehow supplant this conqueror's ethic at your child's elementary school uh, and just extending this culturally all over the nation. I guess this is, you know, one of the fronts uh, in the, the culture war that we're having, you know, uh, can we teach a real U.S. history or does it have to be, again, this Anglo-American fairy tale where we came in, we came in, I don't know, my ancestors actually aren't um, Anglo-American, but anybody who kind of ended up here who's not descended from First Peoples was transported uh, either as a slave or was escaping some form of slavery, you know, and thought like my ancestors, we got to leave Germany because we're just being oppressed too much. And so we'll just jump on a boat and end up in New York and move to New Jersey and start a little German farm and maybe we won't be bothered. So it's very, you know, that myth we're never going to, to be able to cleanse out of our national story and our national identity. The idea is that education would provide an opportunity for us to really carefully look through our master plot, our national master plot, and understand its horror and its criminal aspects that are, you know, our past and our present in the hopes that with this liberal progressivist culture that we also have, that we would be able to somehow correct our own behavior. And in that way that Lincoln articulates in the Gettysburg Address and also MLK, right? And every, every social reformer in our culture, we will arrive at a democracy that is sane and healthy. The land ethic is not really taught. There's a, a great desire for it to be taught. I know that because BioCitizen, the school that I run, we are able to keep our school going because people understand that by exposing parents and kids to these kinds of ideas that it opens up a lot of space where, where positive growth can happen.
This is exactly the conversation that Leopold wanted us to have. The whole idea of criticizing the conqueror from a historical perspective is so that we can have exactly that kind of discussion. And here we are in 1930, 1940, and Leopold is telling white America to criticize its history of settlement it, as a part of normal education. The 1619 project, Leopold would have endorsed it. He would have said, yes, aha, the, a criticism that works. Yes, it's exactly, it's exactly the sort of thing he was going for. Well, I think you're right. I think that he would totally support it because uh, he was very much interested in the truth and the un uncomfortable feeling. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. The truth because he wanted to provoke that discomfort. Yes. Because it's that stimulation actually that energizes the transformation. And, and if you're not happy with the present state of things, then that means you really do want a transformation. So, well, uh, we will shift now into okay. a kind of interesting story. BioCitizen had a very successful school in Los Angeles that recently went bankrupt. And so I'm speaking from Massachusetts, which is the mothership school. And there were a number of reasons that it went bankrupt. But one of the reasons that it went bankrupt was that it decided that it was no longer going to be a Leopoldian school of field environmental philosophy. It would have been extremely helpful and healthy to criticize the ourselves. But what we ended up experiencing was a unilateral move where LA hired a marketing consultant, a person named Amy Lapos, who decided that all the Leopold was a racist and irredeemably so and must be canceled and must be excised from all communication and cleansed from the websites. And so I'm gonna post what was presented by this consultant on the website accompanying this discussion of ours, but I'll read it. Uh, so this is it, Leopold. I have seen his name mentioned in anti-racism discussions. Some of the obvious issues are that he presented indigenous knowledge as his own ideas. He also was part of the Western male school of thought that erased non-white people from environmental discussions. And then below, she has uh, some articles that she read. T, you read these articles. Thank you very much for doing that. And anybody who's listening to this uh, can also read them. So first of all, I just would like you to give your general view of these readings. And then if you had a chance to talk to these um, people in the now closed school in Los Angeles, what you might have offered them to read also or to think about also. Well, I'm glad that they're concerned about it. And if you read Leopold just on the face of it, there will be some things that you might think to criticize. And even if you give Leopold a really deep reading, I think before we go on to, I should say that Marty Keel in 2009 wrote a book called Nature Ethics that has, in my opinion, the very best 
uh, criticism, not of Leopold's particular actions as racist or patriarchal, but of the underlying white settler tendencies the, in, in Leopold's thinking, not necessarily in his actions. And I would not try to refute what Kiel has said, but I would say that to some extent, Leopold is aware of those things within his own mind, and to a, probably a greater extent, he's aware of them within society. And he's, those are the problems that he's working. So I think Kiel kind of correctly identifies those racist and patriarchal um, aspects of his thought. And then I would add that so did also Leopold identify those things. Now, to the articles presented uh, from the LA school, the first idea was that um, Leopold presented indigenous knowledge as his own. I don't think that's true just because I don't think Leopold presented indigenous knowledge. Kyle White, for example, argues that Leopold certainly did not present indigenous knowledge, that it's a mistake to read Leopold as having presented indigenous knowledge. And I agree with White's assessment. It's just simply not indigenous knowledge in Leopold. And I don't think that he really claims it. He does have some like kind of questionable glorification of, you know, like the noble savage stereotype I mean, those, those sorts of things kind of will pop up, but, but no, he's not, he's not presenting indigenous knowledge at all. So he's certainly not presenting indigenous knowledge as his own. So that's point one. Point two actually is a direct contradiction of point one. The very next article that was sent contains one paragraph on Leopold only. Um, and in that paragraph, they claim that Leopold never mentions indigenous people. Never. Uh, so on the one hand, we have the claim that he presents indigenous knowledge as his own, which is false. And on the other hand, we have the claim that seemingly contradicts the first one, that he never mentions indigenous people. So I picked up my uh, desk reference edited volume of, of uh, Leopold essays edited by Flater and Calicott. It's called The River of, Mother, River of the Mother of God and other essays by Aldo Leopold. And in the table of contents, the table of contents, don't even have to read the book. There are references to indigenous people. So, so far, both claims are very, very false. <laughs> I mean, easily, obviously, they're just not, neither one of those two claims are, are anything like the truth. The truth is more complicated and interesting. So, Let's see, claim number three was, claim number three, oh, that's the Vice article. And that article is very good. Let's get to it last. I really liked the Vice article, which is kind of funny. Um, of all of these, that that's the one that I think, and that's the one I think Leopold would have liked the best, is this Vice article. Vice article is called, It's Time for Environmental Studies to Own Up to Erasing Black People. And uh, as I said, I think Leopold would, would have loved it. He would have said, yes. Let's definitely do that. Let's definitely do that. Number four was, comes from a magazine called Pacific Standard, and it is a book review of a text called Vanishing America, Species Extinction, Racial Peril, and the Origins of Conservation by Miles A. Powell. So I got the book. Uh, 
it and now we're into some kind of actual now we can now we can really talk i mean the claims are not just you know sort of obviously false like the previous ones um now we have a, a thick scholarly text but powell's focus is not on leopold it's on racism in environmental uh history so in general racism in environmental uh conservation history has been an issue i'm not trying to deny that at all um and powell's book covers it well in the case of leopold in particular what we have with leopold is a you call him aphoristic there's always an ellipsis at the end of his sentences that you're trying to finish what is it that he was getting at you're always trying to ask what is he getting at with leopold what is more to the story and miles powell has has read deeply especially in correspondence between aldo leopold and one of his colleagues bill volt william volt v-o-g-t and the two of them wrote back and forth about some of the things we were talking about at the very beginning about the way that like biological determinism and race were being spoken of with, in the universities and eugenics was a thing and it was really in a lot of ways the height of racism and they did write back and forth about that i'm not convinced that leopold was in support he often wrote his criticisms very gently he often hid them. And one really good example is in Powell's text. He gives a quote that I've seen used several times, many times, when we're talking about Aldo Leopold and his uh, supposed racism. And the, the quote is really, it's pretty hard to argue with when you just get this quote. He says, Nordics possessed a racial genius for pioneering, surpassing all other races. And if, you know, if you just translate Nordics to whites, I mean, oh, the genius that surpasses all other races. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty hard to argue with. It's and also that, not the... So that was Leopold who wrote that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, right. No, that's okay. I just wanted to, maybe I'll yeah. just interject that the listeners might be interested to know that one of Theodore Roosevelt's best friends was a guy named Madison Grant, who pretty much led the entire development of the institutions of eugenics in the United States. And that eugenics was taught at all of the prominent universities, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Stanford, you name it. Scientific racism was a legitimate field. And it was Madison Grant who wrote a book I think called The Passing of the White Race, where he proposed exactly that. And of course, uh, later on, Hitler had this book and wrote a letter to Madison Grant and said that it is my Bible. So there's no question about it. And what I would just like to reflect on for one moment is the academic industrial complex and what, it, what it's like to work within an epistemology uh, for any professor, uh, you pretty much accept the narrative that the centers of power that are paying you and publishing your articles, you, you either accept it or you leave. 
or you get fired or marginalized. And so I'm not going to ever apologize for what Leopold said. All I'm trying to point out is that it was totally racist and the culture that Leopold was participating in was totally racist. And end of my footnote there. It doesn't surprise me. It's a fine footnote. And I, I am glad that you brought up the publishing environment because uh, I think it really affects his word choice. I don't think it's a surprise that a shortened title, The Virgin Southwest, could appear many years later and be palatable to a publisher. But a critique of what the white man has done to the Southwest could not be published at Leopold's time of life. The publishing environment, I think, is extremely important here, especially when I go ahead and read the rest of that quote. So he begins actually by identifying the university environment that you just described. He says that anthropologists tell us that we Nordics, so white anthropologists tell other white people, we the Nordics have a racial genius of pioneering, surpassing all other races. And then here's the key, key point in this, surpassing all other races in our ability to reduce the wilderness to possession. Does the reduction of wilderness sound like something Leopold wants? No. Does possession of wilderness sound like something Leopold wants? Does the reduction of wilderness to possession sound like something that Leopold would praise or criticize? This is not a compliment. It is an insult. It is a sneaky, sneaky insult. He is saying, this is Aldo Leopold, the same one who says that uh, the environmental crisis is the result of our Abrahamic view of land, that we reduce it to possession. Here in this passage, he has said, whites are the main environmental problem. He has not said that whites are good at settlement. He said exactly the opposite. Exactly the opposite. And it, again, you know, just to ramify, it's that same message, is that the conqueror is gonna get away with conquering until there's nothing left and then the conqueror will expire. Exactly. I'll just add this, the present day context that really depresses all of us that, uh, for example, we have all these international meetings about cutting fossil fuel emissions and there's all this hype and we'll see all of our favorite politicians and maybe celebrities saying, you know, we're going to solve this problem. And it, things don't get solved. They seem to get worse. And this is really, you know, what Leopold might have been getting at because that, uh, what he wrote, I think you parsed, very well, but it's almost like he's satirizing. All right, so we're like, we're like, we're the Aryan geniuses and we're going to commit suicide. Like all of yeah. our highest ideals, these things that we're fighting wars for and we're enslaving everything and destroying and saying that we're developing, we might actually be the stupidest things that ever appeared on this planet. That is exactly right. <laughs> And he does not forget to include the racial, the racial aspect. He's not saying humans are the stupidest thing ever to appear. He's saying white settlers, settlement, that there's, it's not like your genetics. I don't know if he thought it was your or my genetics that make us so bad for the land. But moreover, he's talking about an epistemology that's 
connected with our culture, this conqueror's mentality. 